Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hi, Carly. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Megan. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm always good when we get a chance to talk. I love it. And I'm so excited for today's conversation. I know it's like kind of a downer, but <laughs> I'm excited because people it's, are going to learn so much. That's the weirdest part of doing what I do to be like, no, I'm fascinated by it. I love talking about this. And it's like some of the darkest shit. <laughs> yes. And it's like, am I insane? I think I'm a little insane, but that's okay. Cause it helps people. That's what I tell myself anyway. Exactly. Yes. So for those of you listening, uh, Carly is an abusive relationship recovery coach for moms. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And <laughs> no, no, it's great. And uh, she just is an amazing wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, dealing with abusive relationships and uh, recovering from them and becoming yourself again and she just knows all the stuff, uh, partially from lived experience, which she will tell us about, uh, but also partially because she's a research machine um, and she just, she knows her shit. So if you're looking for someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about, uh, that's why I brought Carly on. So Carly, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Well, one, I just, I love that you swear already. Cause I'm like, okay, good. I can just like say shit. It's going to be okay. Um, well, hello everyone. Um, my name is Carly. And for those of you who do not know, I have an eight-year-old son. So I am a single mom. Um, I have been an abusive relationship recovery coach, um, for, I want to say about three years now. Um, I've niched down into motherhood, um, and within the last, I think it's like six, six months, I want to say five or six months. Um, and how I got here, it's kind of a long story, but bear with me. I promise you, I promise you we're going to get there. Um, so I was in the cycle of abuse from the time I was 12 years old until I was 23. And prior to being, uh, prior to that, I also experienced, um, child abuse and some family stuff growing up. And, um, it wasn't until I, had until I was about, I think 24, between 24 and 25, one of the two. And I was sitting in my car waiting for a Grubhub order to come through. So I was doing Grubhub at the time. And I was reading this book called High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. And the first chapter of this book was entitled Bring the Joy. And the whole, the first like paragraph was basically saying that you are capable of creating joy in, is everything okay? Yes, I got hit by a fly. Keep going. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh no, it's the internet. Anyway, um, uh, the whole first like paragraph of this chapter was about how you you can create joy even in shitty circumstances. That's a total paraphrase, but essentially like that's what it was. And it made me so angry that I chucked this book and it's a thick book. It's a thick, hardcover book. I chucked it so hard across my car that it left a mark and the mark is still there. It dinged the inside of my car because I was so angry. Cause I was like, how dare you tell me that I am allowed to be happy? Like it made me so mad. Like you have no, like let alone, like I can just be happy even though like life is shitty. How dare you? I was so infuriated. And 10, 15, maybe it was five minutes later. I have no idea. I have no sense of time. But I picked it back up and I finally read it. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, as angry as I am right now, because angry was my default emotion. That was like the only thing I had felt prior to that. 
like as angry as I am right now, I can be happy. Like this book, like gave me the permission to say, okay, I'm allowed to feel joy. And as angry as I felt reading it, I knew I was angry for a reason. Like there was a reason that it was like bringing up all of this pain that I needed to pay attention to it. So I was like, you know what? It's been so long. I um, had been a single mom for a little over a year at that point. And I was like, okay, I, I can't keep doing this because if I don't do this, I might not be here next year. And so something's got to give. And I took, uh, I took the time to read that book. And that led me down this uh, beautiful path of learning about personal development and healing myself and reaching this point where I was like, okay, not only am I allowed to be happy, but I'm allowed to change my life circumstances. Like what happened to me doesn't define who I am. and doesn't define my future. Mind blowing stuff to me. And it reached this point where eventually I, I didn't sleep. Like I would put my son to bed and I would be up all night and I would get every free trial that, that was available for me to like binge personal development stuff and like get coaching. Like that's all I did. I didn't sleep. I put Axel to bed and then I would just be up learning and journaling and processing and thinking through. And I cannot remember where I first happened upon it or like when exactly the breakthrough came through, but it hit me that what I had gone through wasn't normal. And knowing that it wasn't normal, it did something. And I was like, wait a second. So you're telling me that all of these things weren't normal and not only were they not normal, but I didn't deserve it. Hold on. That right there was enough to make me want to vomit. I didn't know what to do with it because it had been 24 years of me believing that it was my fault that I asked for it or that it was just normal, that this was just life and this is what I deserved. And reaching that point, I was like, okay, so what happened? Why did I reach this point to begin with? I am the most irritating type of child because I said so doesn't work for me at all. And like, like doing it like, oh, because just, just because it is the way it is. Once I had like the light shown on the thought that it did, that it wasn't that way just because I was like, wait a second, hold on. We're going to take my, my superpower and we're going to use it for good. In this case, we're going to figure out, and we're going to be as, as annoying as possible and figure out why this happened. And it reached this point where I was like, okay, I realized that all of these relationships that I'd gone through were actually abusive relationships and that it wasn't okay. And not everybody went through them because, and just like a little backstory, I got into these abusive relationships because I truly, I had such low, low, low self-esteem that, um, when I was 17, when I got in my first physically abusive relationship, he was, at the, I mean, I look back now and he really was not as attractive as everyone acted like he was, but everyone at school was like, Oh my God, he is so hot. How on earth did you get someone like that? Now I realize that was like the most disrespectful thing that someone could yeah. say like Jesus anyway. But I was like, all of a sudden I had status because I had a hot boyfriend. And so because he was so attractive, he was out of my league and I was worthless. And so anything he did to me was just came with the package. It was just part of the deal. I would have someone out of my league who loved me and cared about me. And I would just have to take whatever happened to me. And I didn't process through all of that until I was in my mid twenties processing through my entire life. And then it made me realize, okay, so how did I reach that point? This somehow led me down this down the path of learning about how the brain worked and happening, happening upon this research, which by the way, is less than 30 years old as far as research on survivors' brains. So anytime someone who is in their um, 70s, 80s, 90s and wants to talk about how um, you just need to suck it up and deal with it, 
they didn't know how much it was hurting them. They did not know that they were in abusive relationships because it wasn't even brought to our attention until about 30 years ago. That's another like side note thing, but it's just, it's important to understand these things because we believe that it's our fault and it's not our fault. We were led to believe that this is normal. It's normalized in society. It's anyway, sorry, total side thing. Focus, Carla Lynn. Anyway, (laughs) um, where I learned like, oh my God. So abuse actually changes the way your brain functions. Yes. Like not just in a mindset thing, but, um, and by the way, PTSD was not an actual diagnosis until the eighties. And even from there, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like used on anyone who wasn't in the military until I want to say the mid nineties. So like, that's how new this is, which is just infuriating to me, but it genuinely, and I just want to like interject real quick to point out, I guess I didn't say this at the beginning, but the, one of the reasons Carly's on the podcast, partially because she's knowledgeable and amazing and everything. But the reason she's on this podcast is because trauma is a form of acquired neurodivergence. It literally changes the way that your brain functions. And so that's, that's why I brought Carly on to talk about abusive relationships and everything, because you might be, maybe be listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, I relate to this shit, but like, I don't think I have ADHD or I don't think I'm dyspraxic. Like, I don't think I fit these labels, but I really relate. And I have all this trauma in my past. That's probably why trauma is a form of neurodivergence. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that too, because like when I say that, and people, I don't think they realize the extent of how much it changes their brain when I say it, because it genuinely, like, it's not just a mindset thing. It's not just like one or two things. And it's even, and now PTSD is not a just anything. Like, I just want to be clear. So I'm not saying just to minimize, but I mean, PTSD is not the only way that your brain is changed. It literally changes the way the chemical makeup of your brain, your brain gets addicted to its own chemicals. Like it gets addicted to people. It changes the way it relates to the world. It changes the way you relate to your kids. It literally impacts how you show up in the world on the day to day. It impacts how you show up at work. It impacts your relationship with your kids. It obviously impacts romantic relationships, but also friendships and work relationships. Like it changes everything. And it is not taken seriously enough at all. Not even a little bit. No, for sure it's not. And and there's, so there's PTSD, there's complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just trauma. Like maybe you don't meet the criteria for PTSD or CPTSD, but like you still have trauma in your past and like also very valid. Absolutely, yes. And that's another thing too that like, and I, it's something that, you know, I, I speak to moms, but this really fits everybody is like, we don't want to acknowledge a lot of the times we don't want to acknowledge what we've gone through because we believe one, that we don't have the time. Like for me, a big thing that came up for me and has come up with a lot of moms that I've worked with and talked to is that they don't want to take the time to acknowledge and process what happened because they are so worried that they're just going to collapse. And if they collapse, they cannot support their kids. And therefore they just have to keep running on empty because if they collapse, the whole family collapses. And if they collapse, then their kids, if their kids see them collapse and their kid can't look up to them, like there's all of these things when the reality is that Yes, you're going to have a breaking point and you will probably collapse for a day, a week, a month. But let me tell you that collapse moment of a day, a week, a month 
is a blip in the lifespan of your life. Do you want to live a life where you're constantly balancing this 30,000 weight on top of your head, waiting for your neck to snap? Or do you want to experience a really shitty week, month of processing and feeling and then freedom after? Like, I am not saying that it's easy. It's going to be the hardest thing that you do. And it's like, the way I sell it, it's like, if anyone is saying that they can make it easy or to process or whatever, I don't know what they're selling you, but it is snake oil. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. This takes time and it's going to suck because you have to acknowledge not only like the, the quote unquote, like mental things in processing, but that trauma is actually stored within your body as well. And you have to work through things that there are a lot of things that I thought that I was over quote unquote, and that I had dealt with and weren't bothering me anymore. But what I didn't realize is that my body was still reacting, even when I wasn't consciously reacting. So like I can handle being in bigger crowds now, but if someone comes up behind me and touches me on the shoulder and I don't know that they are there, or if my son comes up behind me and tries to just give me a big barrel hug as, you know, little kids do, right? Right. My body goes right into fight or flight. And I either completely like freeze and I freak out or I go right into like ready to just like hurt somebody because my body is so scared. And I've been out of the relationship for almost six years now and it still reacts that way. So I don't say any of this to discourage anyone, but I also know that there's a lot of people who are acting like this shit's easy to deal with. And it's not, I want you to be aware of what's coming. So that way, when you are processing it, you don't give up. So you can be like, okay, Carly said this was coming. And I know that there's going to be a light on the other side, or there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. I mixed like four metaphors, Jesus Christ. But there's, <laughs> there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if I just keep going, I'm going to get to that light. If that made sense. I feel anyway. No, absolutely. I, I want to introduce another metaphor just to make things extra confusing. But I had this image while you were talking of this mom um, trying to build a house on stilts, like without a foundation. She's just on these stilts and she's trying to balance and she's trying to balance her kids and she's trying to build a home and it's never going to be secure. It's never, you're never going to feel safe. You have to fall off the stilts and it's going to hurt like hell. And, but you need to be on the ground and, um, yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense. That is the best. You are the metaphor queen. (laughs) I swear. Like, it's just, if you need one, Megan's, Megan's your girl, like Jesus, that is the perfect way to put it because we are trying so hard to balance everything. And we also, we want, we are so scared that we will not be able to support our kids that we become this self-fulfilling prophecy meaning that we just want to be strong for our kids. We want to stuff it and just keep going. And because we don't want to hurt our kids, but what happens is that we create, or there's this rift that develops between us and our kids. And we are scared to connect with our kids because we're scared that we're going to screw up. We believe that if we couldn't protect ourselves, how on earth are we going to protect our kids? We believe that we can't do, we can't do the basics. The, cause uh, hindsight's always 20, 20 right? When you're in the relationship, and I mean, and like, this is stuff I've I've talked about so much, like when you're in it, you don't see it because you are wearing these pink glasses 
And so every red flag blends in with the environment. When you're out and you take those glasses off, it's all so obvious, but we don't give ourselves that credit and we don't give ourselves that grace. We just say, we are so stupid. We must've deserved it because we stayed. We should have got out sooner. And then we've got society mirroring those stupid messages right back at us. And then you have very uneducated people in leadership positions who run their mouth. And then it just makes us believe that it was our fault. And therefore we also deserve to live in misery because we have given our children an abusive parent or we have given our children a mother who, who is terrible and worthless. And therefore we have to take whatever happens to us because we deserve that. Mm. And it yeah. is so terrible. And the metaphor, that's what this whole thing was coming back to of being on the stilts is so accurate because you're always in this fear of falling over and you know that you could just get off the stilts. But if you get off the stilts, then you don't have this fear that you have now been living with for so long. And now it's your normal and you don't know. Now even being on the ground is scary. You're used to living in fear of falling over. The idea of being flat on the ground brings a whole new level of fears of what's down there. And so you continue to push your children away in the, while hoping and believing that you're gonna get closer to them someday. Mm -hmm. Yes. The someday paradox. Uh, <laughs> it applies to so much stuff. Um, a lot of ADHDers struggle with organization because it's like, I'll get organized someday. A lot of trauma survivors struggle with connection. They're like, I'll connect once I feel better, but the connection is how you feel better. <laughs> yes. It's the most annoying piece of it. Cause it's like, cause that's exactly it because we want that someday. And we believe like, okay, someday things will be better. But unfortunately, better is never going to come until you face the part that you hate right now. Like you have to do the thing that scares you the most in order to get to where you want to go. It's like knowing that like there's paradise on the other side, but there is this rickety bridge where like there's boards falling down and, but that's the only thing keeping you from there, but only, but it's also this life threatening, terrifying thing. You've seen people go across it, but you're like, but I don't know if I can. And then even if I do get over there, what if I do put in all this work? What if I do face it all and I do get over there and then I find out that everyone over there hates me or I get over there and find out that it's not really as good as I think it is. And then I just get sent right back over here and it was all for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the black and white thinking that trauma can induce. It makes you yep. think there's either my current reality or there's the reality where everything's better and there's nothing in between. There's no alternative options. It's just the shit that I'm in now or paradise and life just isn't like that. <laughs> um, and I say that with a lot of love because I absolutely used to feel this way and used to think this way. And I used to think a diagnosis specifically, because I tend to be very like uh, health obsessive, but I thought the right mental health diagnosis would save me from my pain because I would finally feel seen and I would finally be good enough under some context. And I think so many trauma survivors, uh, people who've been through trauma, end up stuck in this black and white and we forget that life is about living not about getting to paradise you know that is so true and there's also oh my gosh I was gonna say something and it just left my brain happens oh all the God. time on this podcast that is so <laughs> annoying it's right there and the thing I don't understand is like the fact that my brain remembers that I forgot something like why can't I just forget altogether why are you torturing me brain anyway but also like on that talk too or on that 
um i can't think of words we're just gonna keep rolling um but on that subject as well a lot of the times we believe that we are undeserving of life being better Mm -hmm. and that we don't even deserve to even if the work is possible that we are even going to get there like that we just don't get it or we're going to get there and then be rejected by that thing that we want so bad and that can be the thing that holds us back because and this is I call it the comfortable uncomfortable where it's like we are so miserable where we're at but we know where we're at we know that we're going to be in pain in the morning we know um, we, we know, oh, that's, a, this is where I was going with that. Okay. It all comes back. So think about it in the sense of like someone with chronic illness. So like, for example, I have fibromyalgia. And so my body is just in pain all the time. It's a constant. And there's so many people who have chronic illness and chronic pain that that pain is their normal. And even if they have the opportunity to not be in that pain, it's great to think about, but that's terrifying. Because if you actually wake up one day and you're not in pain, your constant companion of the last year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years is gone. What do you do? Now you don't know how to move without pain. You don't know what it's like to get up and walk without hurting. And now you're also faced with the fact there's all these things that I've said I wanted to do for so long. And now I have to actually do them because I don't have an excuse not to do them. And that's terrifying. And so when we live in that place as survivors, we, we stay in this comfortable uncomfortable of it's so much easier to be miserable because there's more to risk when I'm happy. There is the risk of it being taken away. And on the subject of joy, there is a quote that I heard. It was on Kathy Heller's podcast. I cannot remember who it was that said it. Maybe it was Brene Brown. Um, but that joy is the most terrifying thing to feel because the moment you feel it, it can be taken from you. And so it's so scary to be happy and it's scary to do the work to do that because what if I get there and it's not what I think, or what if I get there and I put in this work and I lose it again, or what if I get there? And then like my thing, like, I'm going to be completely vulnerable. Like for me, my thing is like, okay, what if I do start dating again? And then I fall into it again. What if I get manipulated again? Like I've come a hell of a long way and I have an RBF that no one can touch me. Like I swear to God. And I have a don't fuck with me energy that I just embrace. But what if I let someone in and then I get hurt again? Then what if I find out that I really am the problem and that I do deserve it because I'm dumb enough to get caught up again? These are the things that we think about a lot. And it is so hard to battle against and work against these things. And the other piece of it, is that maybe this is like my original point. I'm talking in circles, guys. So sorry. Hopefully you're following along. But we want to, it was on the topic of like black or white thinking. When we think of healing, we think of no longer being in pain. But unfortunately, there is no way to go back to who you were before the trauma. Like if you were abused as a child, you don't even have anything to compare it to. You don't know who you are. There's no way to go back and undo it absolutely you can live a wonderful beautiful amazing life and that's literally that's what I help people do but you have to also acknowledge that those voices are still going to be there 
the voices in your head that tell you you're not enough are still going to be there. You know, there are going to be some times where you feel like you're doing so good. And then all of a sudden you see the type of car that he drove drive by and you all of a sudden feel that heaviness in your chest of, oh my God, did he find me this time? Oh my God, is he back? Oh my. And then you think of all of those memories or a song will come on on the radio. And what living a life means in healing is it means that those one, they don't happen as often, but you one, don't beat yourself up about it anymore. That's a really big thing. And two, you learn how to control the volume of those voices. You learn how to control the volume in your head of going, okay, those voices are going to be there, but they don't get to scream anymore. I'm going to turn those down and I'm going to focus on what it is that I want in this moment. And it's all so much easier said than done. Like I say that all the time. I swear I'd be so much more popular if I was like, oh my God, you could do it in X, Y, and Z days. And I wish I could. But the fact is, it's going to take time. It's going to take your brain however long it takes. And it's never going to be easy, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have so many thoughts. I'm trying to collect them. I think the big thing that stands out to me is you were saying that you felt like you deserved the abuse. You deserved Mm -hmm. these toxic relationships. You deserved to be treated this way. And I think for me, I haven't been, I'm really lucky. I haven't been in an abusive relationship like romantically, but I have childhood trauma. Um, And I think for me, it wasn't like, oh, I deserve to be treated poorly. I'm a piece of crap. Like it wasn't that narrative in my head. Instead, it was the narrative of I'm not allowed to reach for better. Like if I reach for better, I'm implying that what I have isn't good enough. And that would be an insult to all of the people in my life who were kind of toxic for me. And I would have to acknowledge that. And acknowledging that would mean my whole worldview would break down the worldview that I was safe, the worldview that I mattered, like all of this, like would break down if I recognized that I wasn't being treated the way I deserved to be treated. And, um, so like, I don't know. There's just lots of narratives of not deserving or either not deserving better or deserving bad things. There's all these narratives. Absolutely. And that concept of, it's kind of very similar to like survivor's guilt in the sense of like, if I acknowledge that what I went through was not okay, then that means what I watched my parents go through was not okay. And what my grandma went through wasn't okay. And why is it okay for me to heal when they've been miserable forever? Yes. Like why they is it have okay it ingrained in their mind. Especially when uh, those people tend to be big mad about it. <laughs> yep. Oh, they do not like it. No. People will pitch a fit. They do not like, because again, it's also like, I think of, and I have to remind myself of this a lot because I've been on this journey for a while and there's people in my life that I love to death, but I'm like, y'all need to get it by now. Like, come on. Um, but it's this fact of, I was so angry at the thought that I was allowed to be happy. Like that thought set me off. Like I was, I was not a kind person. I was so toxic. I was so angry. I was so manipulative. I was hurting so bad that even the thought of being told that I was allowed to be happy infuriated me. And so that one simple thing set me off so bad. Of course, when I decide that I'm going to live life differently and I'm going to shift the way I'm doing it and I'm going to say, no, this isn't okay. I'm calling out everybody that has ever done or lived X, Y, and Z. And it's like, wait a second. You don't get to tell me that what I've been living, the way I've been living is wrong. 
And then they feel that conviction. They feel that pain. And then, cause it's, it's a comfortable, uncomfortable. The pain's always there, but it, it's kind of just in the background. But if you want to change it, that brings the pain up right in front of them. And yes. so they project it onto you. Yes, exactly. It's like, uh, it's like getting a bone reset. <laughs> like yep. you kind of just want to leave it, <laughs> but it's going to get so much worse. You have to reset it. And so it's going to take that pain from like a six to an 11, but yep. you have to do it. And it's so hard. And that's something too, that like no one, no one wants to talk about. And I, I will never like forget this. So I went to go see a movie. Um, it should have a trigger warning. I knew when I went to go see it, what it was going to be about, but it was, um, the last duel. And it is about a woman. I cannot remember her name, but it was woman in medieval times who was assaulted by, um, some, by, by another man who wasn't her husband. Um, and she refused to be quiet about it. And when she refused to be quiet about it, the whole town turned on her. Everyone hated her mm -hmm. because she was calling it out because it was so normal that her yes. not being okay with it made everyone uncomfortable. But the fact of the matter is like, and also her marriage, like her husband was a horrible person to begin with, but she lived also with her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law hated her even more after she came forward and was fighting this. And they reached a point in their conversation where she was like, he assaulted me. Like, that's not, he, that's not okay. I just, cause everyone else wants me to be okay with it. I'm not going to be okay with it. And her mother-in-law looked at her and said, I was assaulted, but I wasn't going to burden my husband with that. I didn't pass it on. He had bigger things to deal with. That wasn't my job. It was my job to suck it up and deal with it, to protect him. Oof. And that, I will never forget that scene in that movie. I mean, that whole movie, it is a very powerful movie. I will never be able to watch it again. And I literally had to go and I went and got sick. It was very important, but also very sickening at the same time. Um, but that conversation is so prevalent in today's society all the time because there are things that are normalized. And even though the Me Too movement, and even though we are talking about things more, there are, gener there are people, particularly older generations who just want us to shut up about it because it was normal. And like, if you want to start talking about, if you want to make, if you want to make some people mad on TikTok, you talk about coerced consent and it mm -hmm. sets people off. One, it sets people off who were on uh, the victim end of it because they didn't want to admit that they were assaulted. And two, it, it angers the people who had done it and who had coerced someone into consenting because they didn't want to admit that they assaulted somebody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the facts, but they get big mad about it because it calls them out. And even though it is so, we talk about it more, there are things that are normal and we have these contracts in society that says, we understand that it's not okay. We just don't talk about it. We just keep going. And when you start pulling things out at the root, especially things like this, and you start addressing why it's so prevalent and why it's so normal and how like movies play, like I remember growing up, like I wanted someone who was jealous and possessive and mean. I wanted that so bad because I thought that that meant that he loved me. I thought that was okay. I wanted someone to be so obsessed with me until I got it so obsessed with me that they were always around, that they were always on my phone, that they were always looking out for me. I wanted that. I craved that because I was taught that that was love. And I look back and I'm like, that hurts my heart 
because a few years later, that's exactly what I got. And I am lucky to be alive. And so it, we have to be okay with disrupting this system in order to take control of our own healing, which is why it is so damn hard. Cause right. you can't okay. just do one thing. Sorry. If I'm going off on a whole tangent. No, no. I, I wanted to comment on that because I think so often healing is presented to us as like a very insular activity. Like it's just about you healing your wounds and feeling better. And like it, in order to heal, you're going to disrupt the communities you're a part of and all of the relationships that you're in, you're going to force them to question things from their life and they may or may not take it well. And healing, I don't know, it just, it involves other people in ways that we really should be talking about more because when we present healing as this insulated activity, it makes it seem a lot easier than it is. And it makes people feel bad. Like, why am I not doing this? And the reason you're not doing it is because you know your mom's going to get mad at you. The reason you're not doing it is because you know your husband's going to judge you. The reason you're not, you know what I mean? Like, it's impossible to heal in a vacuum. It really, really is. And I'm so glad that like, that you called that out too. Because like healing, there is a point, like we have to do a lot of internal work, right? Like we have to call ourselves out. But a really big part of that is accepting responsibility for the times where you messed up. Like I said, I, when I was angry, I was so toxic. I was so, I was just cruel for the sake of being cruel. I was right for the sake of being right. I could knew I was dead ass wrong and I didn't care. I was right anyway. And I would be so mean and my own healing caused me to have to look inside myself and realize I understand why I did that, but it was not their job to be my punching bag. And a lot of that, especially as moms, is we have to take responsibility for when we were triggered and we lashed out at our kids. Or when we, instead of showing up for our kids, we were treated and hid in the bathroom because we just couldn't, we just couldn't handle it. We have to admit those things. And then that's this relationship where we have to, depending on how old your kids are, you risk whatever their response is, because it's also accepting that they're allowed to have whatever response that they have that they're allowed to be angry and they're allowed to be frustrated and they're allowed to have that. And you start having these open discussions. And then again, then it impacts their environment because it impacts how they're going to show up in, in the family system. And then if you start changing things here, you go over to grandma and grandpa's and they notice that that's something that's no longer okay in your house and they call it out. Then grandma and grandpa are mad and they lash out at them. And then you have to go in here and then all like all of this stuff, it just expands. Mm-hmm. And so And I, again, I don't say this to discourage anyone, but I want everyone to be fully aware and it's not talked about enough. And I think a lot of the reason why people don't uh, lean into their healing and, and, and really choose to process through and feel is for all of these things that we don't talk about again, because they're so full of guilt and shame and fear and that guilt and shame and fear keeps us believing that we're alone when really it's the statistic, the documented statistic is one in four women are victims of abuse, but that is vastly underreported. And it is very like, there's lots of evidence to say it's closer to one in two, if not more than that. So that means we are all out here, half of the female population, we're out here. And yes, men get abused too. I'm very much aware of that. I know several male survivors. I talk to women. I don't want anyone getting mad at me, but, um, I totally lost my train of thought with like my whole little rant there, but essentially 
it, we are all out here feeling so alone when half the female population is feeling that same way. Mm. It's keeping us all quiet and it's keeping us all in our own little buckets in that loneliness. And this is something that like, I'm really passionate about those feelings. I feel like are the most dangerous because once you add uh, loneliness on top of worthlessness and shame and guilt, that's when you do things like not wake up tomorrow. And I firmly like, there's so much evidence where so many survivors, they leave their kids behind or they do leave because they just can't handle it. And they do end up doing, they, they do end up taking their life. Like just like put it completely bluntly. And I want to just kind of open the can of worms. So that way everyone realizes that we're not alone. Like, thank God for things like TikTok. I mean, one, I learned that I have never had a unique thought or feeling in my life ever, <laughs> ever. Um, but two, it's also like, I have this community of people. I spent 20 plus years thinking I was alone. And now I have this community of hundreds of thousands of people that I just, I, that I like scrolling it and all these people, you're telling me that I didn't have to feel alone this whole time. Like the whole time, that stupid audio, the whole time, the whole time. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I keep going on these little rants. I just, I get so like fired up about this stuff. So feel free to like re- reel me in. No, I, (laughs) I love all of it. And I'm really glad that you brought up the topic of suicide because I know trigger warning, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, so if this is upsetting to you, if you're in like a position where you just can't listen to this, just know that I understand, feel free to pause, skip ahead, or just end the episode. But, um, I I'm glad you brought it up because I think a lot of trauma survivors end up going that route um, because like you said, they feel very lonely, but also because they feel trapped in these patterns. So, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like vulnerably, thank you for sharing, but um, that you're really worried to start dating again, because if you end up back in another abusive relationship, you know, it's going to be really hard not to blame yourself and to feel like it's inevitable. Like this is just like somehow your fucking fate. And, um, I think a lot of trauma survivors feel like, okay, even if I deserve better, even if it wasn't my fault, even if all of this is true, it doesn't change the fact that now I'm broken Mm -hmm. and there's no fixing it. And I, I want to challenge that thought a little bit. Um, I know how true it feels. So please don't take this as invalidation or dismissal. I have absolutely been there and I'm still there. I'm finding this episode recording it, like just to be vulnerable myself, a little bit triggering, um, in a really good way in like, because I trust Carly and I know Carly and everything's good, but like, it definitely is really hard to listen to and talk about, um, but I think, yeah, see, I lost my train of thought because my brain was like, we need to dissociate. We need to get out of here. So hold on, let me zone back in. Um, but I think a lot of people end up um, very, very in despair and suicidal because um, they feel like there's no escaping this. And I want to challenge that because the research shows that trauma is an injury to the brain and injuries heal injuries heal it doesn't just take time it takes work it takes a lot of self you know like a lot of stuff goes into healing that wound but it is a wound and healing is 
it's absolutely possible. So I want to transition what we're talking about um, into your best healing tips. What do you got for us? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so here for it. And I'm so glad that you mentioned what you did about the brain too, because we tend to forget that the brain is an actual physical organ because yes. we don't see it. Like if we fall and we scratch ourselves, there's a big gash in our arm, right? Like we're not going to be like, oh God, dang it. Heal already. Come on. No, we're going to be like, oh shit, I got to get this thing stitched up. I got to make sure it's clean. Like, what do I need to do? My whole arm is going to fall off. If I'm dead. Like, right. Like we do that whole thing, but our brain, we expect ourselves to just get over it like that. I should be over yes. this by now. I'm already out. So this shouldn't affect me. I got out 10 years ago. Why is this still bothering me? Oh my, like all of these things where basically what we do is we just reopen that wound every time because we're like, we just need to, we should be over it by now. We beat our, beat our heads against the wall because we don't realize that the brain in it's beautiful pink squishy goodness or gray goodness whatever it is up there i don't know that um i know what happens inside it. i don't know how it looks okay anyway um but like it's an actual organ that gets damaged even if which is why i say and i promise you the healing stuff in a second but i want to make this abundantly clear even if they did not hit you they are still abusive just because they didn't lay a hand on you or they didn't leave a visible bruise on you does not mean that they are not abusive. So many times I talked to women and I was like this too. I just wish he would hit me. So I would have an excuse to leave. I just wish that he would do something drastic. So people would believe me. And I just want to make this clear to anyone listening who is currently in that situation. You are a victim of abuse and you deserve better and you deserve to get out. You do not have to wait to get hit in order to call it abuse. That's my little like, also, on that. <laughs> I also just want to throw out, like, you don't have to be abused to leave a relationship. Absolutely. Like, even if it's not abuse, let's just say you're unhappy. You're allowed to fucking leave. Yep. Yes. So yes. just throwing oh that God. out there. <laughs> yes. I am like that too. And it's, oh man, this is like going to like open up a whole nother, like, all right, hold on, note. hold on. Before we go into the other can of worms, let's focus on the healing. Let's, I know. I was like, let's okay. go down that road. Pick one. Okay. Best healing tips. So number one, the number one thing that I do, like when I start working with somebody is I start them on, and it's going to, it's going to feel woo, but I want you to just bear with me and stick with it for a second. Okay. There are four affirmations. And then before I get into them, an affirmation is just something that you say consistently to affirm a belief. If you're out here saying affirmations are stupid and they don't work, if you tell yourself you're stupid, that's an affirmation. Yes. If you tell yourself you're worthless, that's an affirmation. Okay. So like, let's just, just to like clear the playing field. Okay. Challenge some brains that are not liking me right now. But there are four affirmations that I have uh, my clients do consistently. And it's, I am strong. I am capable. I am intelligent and I am worthy. Now the last one usually gets people choked up. And there is a point where you might not even be able to physically say it. And that is okay. I was getting coached on a podcast and all she wanted me to say was that I'm not a burden. I couldn't even say it. I literally couldn't get the words out of my mouth until two hours after the podcast ended. So mm -hmm. like, I'm not like saying this because like, it's so easy. I understand how hard this can be. But the reason that I hit these four affirmations is because it's, these are the places that we tend to get stuck. We believe that we are weak. We believe that we cannot do it. We believe that we're stupid and we believe that we're unworthy. Saying these four things hits all of those. Absolutely. And then you can add like, I am enough as I am right now. That's another one. What I want you to do is I want you to say these to yourself 
in the mirror and I like said this up like every time you go pee like just look in the mirror and say these things out loud to yourself and the reason why is your brain's not going to believe it and that's fine you're not going to like it and that's fine you might not be able to say it without rolling your eyes and that's fine do it anyway the reason this matters is because you are hitting your brain from so many different angles and i'm not going to like go into all of that because that's like a whole nother sciencey thing that like i will geek out on for 10 hours but most importantly, when you are, you can say these out loud to yourself, like in the car, or like you can journal on them and write them down. But the reason that I want you to look yourself in the eyes, um, in the mirror while you're doing it is you are providing that validation to yourself. It's not coming from an external source. It's not coming from a boyfriend. It's not coming from a partner. It's not coming from a teacher or a family. It's coming from yourself. And when you begin to do this, it may be very emotional and maybe very painful. And again, you may not believe it. And that's fine. I want you to do that once a day for the next month and then tell me it doesn't work. Okay. That's all I'm saying. It's going to take time. It's not an overnight fix, but this seriously, this is going to get your brain to open up to the idea that maybe you are allowed to lift yourself up. Maybe you're allowed to celebrate yourself. I do not care if you believe them right now. I don't care if you believe them a year from now. What matters is you're providing that validation to yourself and you don't need it from anybody else. That's really hard because nine times out of 10, we end up in abusive relationships because we believe that we deserve it or believe that we are worthless and we, and we are settling and because we need that validation so bad. We need that love so bad. Providing that to ourselves is a huge part of the healing process. And this is something that like, if we're working together, we'd address this a lot, but this right here, do that. If you do nothing else, do that. Okay. Carly's best healing tip is looking yourself in the eye, rolling your eyes as you try to get these affirmations out, because I, I totally hear you. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> It's so hard. And there are days like, again, I've been doing this. I haven't been as consistent lately, but I've been doing this for, oh my God, has it been almost four years now that I've been doing this? And there are still days that I get stuck, but the magic in it is that one day I woke up and it wasn't hard to say. Yeah. Yes. One day I was having a really, really hard time with Axel and I snapped and I wanted to be like, literally like every urge in my being was just to beat myself up and go off about how a terrible mom, how, what a terrible mom I was. But I was like, you know what? I'm capable of figuring this out. So let me go back. And I was able to have a conversation and I was able to apologize and change my behavior. And it blew my mind. I was like, holy, do I think it was just from these things? No, but I think these things open up the door to so much more. Because when you can get your brain to say these things consistently, if they become a normal, like if you repeat them so much, it's just like those annoying songs, like those annoying commercials. We don't see them so much anymore now, like in the days of streaming, but like those insurance <laughs> commercials where we all knew what the insurance commercial, like would just get stuck in our head. It was so annoying. These affirmations will become an annoying earbug in, in your head that you just say over and over. Mm -hmm. So stick to that. The second thing I want you to do is, and this is if... If, if, if there's a big, if with this, if you are in the mental place to do so, if this is not going to trigger you into a spiral, I do not want anyone, um, to get hurt doing this. I want everyone to be safe. So if you're not able to do this, you are not less than or anything. That's just where you are. And that's okay. But something, a lot of the reason, or a lot of the things that we struggle with as survivors is our brain loves to tell us because we were addicted to this person that we, that it's that we should just go back. 
that it was better in the relationship, that it was better when we were in that because at least we were getting love because our brain loves to remind us of all the positive things and minimize the negative things. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do is take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And on the left, I want you to write down your honeymoon moments. These are the quote unquote good things. This is when they brought you flowers. This is when they bought you pretty clothes. This is when they took you out to dinner or they told you that they loved you or they planned that really spontaneous vacation to Disney. Those things go right there. And then on the right side, I want you to write down everything you had to endure in order to get that. I want you to write down every time they yelled at you, write down when they gaslit you, write down when they told you that you were stupid. And the reason I want you to do this is because this is a very, and again, if you cannot do this, that is fine. If you're in a good place to do so, do this. But the reason why is this is a really hard reset for your brain to understand that you had to go through. And by the way, one moment of abuse is not okay. But nine times out of 10, what happens is that for one honeymoon moment, you had to endure four, 10, 30, a hundred abusive moments. This forces your brain to look at it and go, holy shit, my brain right now is still addicted to that person. And again, it can still be addicted to that person years after you're out of the relationship. And it's leaning on all of the positive things, which could even though, even if you may not end up back with that person, you'll end up in another abusive relationship because this is what your brain counts as normal. And it wants the, the chemical hit that comes with all of that. Having this on hand until you're able to get your brain in a place where it is easy or maybe not difficult to lean into how great it was is a very hard reset for your brain. And it forces you to look at it and go, oh my God, this wasn't a good relationship. This is not what love is. He told me he loved me here, but he also, um, he yelled at me here. He, he, he brought me to Disneyland. Yeah. But he was a total dick the whole time we were there. And all he did was tell me that I was being, um, uh, whiny when I didn't get to go on the ride that I wanted to go on. Right. Like, these moments in time are very, very hard to process with our brains because our brains are so stubborn. We love them, but they are so stubborn. And sometimes they need to have a hard reset and to see what's in front of them. If you're not able to do that, that is okay. I just say a lot of disclaimers around that because typically I do that, like I kind of gauge where someone's at before I do it. But this can be really beneficial if you find yourself leaning back into, oh my gosh, I want to go back. I want to go back. Mm-hmm. Lastly, if you are a mom, What you need to do is you need to work on your triggers and your boundaries. These are two things that get very, very warped in the abusive relationship and can continue to get warped as a mom. Finding your triggers is a matter of basically all a trigger is, if you do not know, is it's an event that causes another event. For example, if I smell cookies, I'm going to suddenly get hungry because the cookies triggered the excitement of what it's going to be like when I put it in my mouth. All right. So there are good triggers and there are bad triggers. And eh, I don't like the word bad, but maybe not as great of triggers. I don't know any like not value placing words. We're just going to roll with it. Well, there's probably instead of good and bad, we could just talk about like the different ways they stimulate your nervous system. So like there's hunger cue triggers, there's fight, flight, freeze triggers. There's, um, you know, (laughs) tiredness triggers. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I love that so much. I'm just like, I don't, I hate the words good and bad, but right. yeah, it's not helpful most of the time. But there are also the triggers. Like when you think of a veteran with PTSD and a firework goes off mm-hmm. all of a sudden in their mind, they're in war. 
And they're going to act as if they are in that place because their brain is taking them back there. We have those same moments, sometimes to the same degree. Like if someone raises their hand and you flinch, that's a trigger. But also if your kid throws something across the room and you were in a relationship where things were thrown, that's going to trigger you to go back into that place. And you are not going to be able to be a good mom in that situation because your brain is currently in victim mode in the relationship back in that moment. So taking the time to find what your triggers are is imperative to healing, like figuring out what they are and also how to manage them is key. But even if what you do is you just sit down and you think of maybe over the last 24 hours, what are some situations that you, that you do not like how you reacted and what led to them? Like maybe your kid asked you for the 500th time or no, here's a good one. This is the one that gets me all the time. So gaslighting is the process of someone making you believe that your reality isn't real, that your thoughts, feelings, and emotions aren't real, that they don't matter, that they don't exist. Children do this because it's developmentally normal for children. It's not developmentally uh, normal for grown ass adults to do it. So children, they will eat the entire cookie jar, have crumbs all over their face and have like everything everywhere. And we say, homie, did you eat the cookies? And they say, no, even it's, it's obvious, right? Like, duh. When we were in the relationship, we would say, hey, why were you talking to this girl on Instagram when you won't even post a picture of me? And they go off and make it about how you are so insecure and there's a problem with you. And you're like, well, no, this is a problem, but they lead you to believe that it's not a problem. So your reality has worked. Your child gaslights you in a developmentally appropriate way. And you have not processed through that trigger. You're going to overreact to that. I am not saying that it's okay that your child's lying to you, but it's developmentally appropriate for a child to gaslight, to try to save themselves out of a situation, even though it's like, duh, you've got cookies everywhere, homie. But you're going to react to that in a way where you are in the relationship and you are all of a sudden having someone lie to your face. And you're like, no, I'm not crazy. I see it. And you will lash out. You lash out verbally. Sometimes you lash out physically. Sometimes, and I'm not saying that any of these responses are okay. But what I'm saying is we need to take stock of where we're at and what we're doing in order to change them. Right, because beating yourself up or shaming yourself for having these reactions like, yeah, a certain amount of guilt is probably, you know, normal and healthy, but shame on the other hand is, is not going to get you to change your behavior. It's just going to make you feel like you got the emotional beating that you deserved. Exactly. Exactly. And then because then, okay, so let's say like you're triggered and you have this reaction with your kid. And then now there is an effect with that right? This is again, things that no one wants to talk about. So now your child is afraid of you because you overreacted to them being in the cookie jar. What are, what are the, what are the, how are you going to react if they do something really bad? Like, and if that continues, right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have this guilt and you're like, man, I overreacted. But if you don't know how to acknowledge your triggers, you don't know how to apologize to your kid. Because if you don't know how to acknowledge a trigger, you don't know how to, how to change your behavior, which means if you apologize to your kid, you keep doing it over and over again, you're no better than the person who did it to you. So there's this whole cycle of shame and guilt that we have to address in order to change this. So taking the time, and like I said, sit down and just write down a few of like situations like that that have come up. And it doesn't matter how big or small they are. It doesn't matter if you think, well, this is a small, it's so stupid. I don't need to deal with it. If it came up and if it sticks out to you, it's important. 
There's no big or little or important or unimportant. If it matters to you, it matters. Yes. Period. End of story. And lastly, the part about boundaries, 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 boundaries. Boundaries are so freaking important. When we are in the abusive relationship, we are taught to believe that our thoughts, feelings, emotions, our desires were not only a burden, but they were also a danger. Because if you even wanted to express that you were, un- that you un-okay, that is not a word, that you are not okay with a situation or that you want something to change, that puts you in danger. It puts you in emotional danger, physical danger, financial, spiritual. It could put your kids in danger, it could put your pets in danger, right? So we learn to, that our boundaries are dangerous and therefore we don't have any. Mm-hmm. And so now we're like, but now we're absolutely terrified of them because we see boundaries as these giant walls that hold people out. When the truth of the matter is that boundaries are a door within the wall where you control when it's open and shut, who comes in and who doesn't, and when the door is locked, and when it's unlocked. And so you have to learn to set boundaries with yourself. You need to learn to set boundaries with your kids. And I get so much pushback on this because it's like, well, Carly, I already have this rift between my kids. You, you've already shown me like how far our, our relationship is from where we want to be. Why would I push them even further away? Well, the reality is that right now your kids don't know whether they should scale the wall to come in or dig under, or they should just leave you alone altogether. When you set the boundary, you are teaching them how to treat you. You teach them what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. Boundaries are a blueprint that teach people how to treat you. That's what they are. And you have to learn to set boundaries with your kids in order for, there is a mosquito by my face, sorry, Um, where you will learn, where they learn how to treat you, but you also give them permission to set boundaries as well. Right. They might not have had that modeled where if they grew up in a DV situation and they experienced that, they won't know how to set boundaries either. They don't know how to approach you. They don't know how to approach themselves. And that is key. Like, yes, you need to set boundaries with other people, but I like, and I will like preach on that for like, I can do a whole 10 hour, like 10 hours is like my number of choice today. Anyway, but learning to set them with yourself and with your kids is, is so important. It's like right up there with triggers as like one of the most important things you need to do to heal a relationship Mm -hmm. and to begin to move forward. Cause those boundaries are everything. They're so important. So important. And I, I have like a, I have a three-step framework. It is, um, set, communicate and enforce. So you need to set the boundary and decide what the boundary is going to be. You need to communicate it with the people who need to know. Like if you are saying like, for example, something I'm going to start doing is I'm going to give my son a digital alarm clock in his room where he's going to know, okay, I'm not going to come out of my room until 6am because mom needs her space before 6am. Mm-hmm. That's a boundary. And I'm communicating, I'm not posting it on Facebook. I'm not like telling everybody and their mother to not bother me until 6 a.m. because no one else needs to know. I'm just telling my son because he's the only person who is awake at the god awful hour before 6 a.m. And so I'm setting that boundary with him. I'm communicating it with him. And when it comes to enforcing it, because there's going to be times where he's going to come in and bug me because he's going to want to see if I mean it. He's going to test the boundary, right? He's going to see, or he might just forget or whatever. I have to be willing to enforce it. And enforce is such a scary word, but all that means is stand up for yourself. Is you uphold the boundary. It's saying, hey, bud, it is not 6 a.m. yet. I know that it's only 10 minutes away, but this is my time for journaling or this is my time. I'm still in bed. I need you to go back to your room. It seems so simple, but it works. And I'm not simple and easy are not the same thing mm-hmm. because this mm-hmm. could go, I am talking about a boundary with a digital alarm clock with an eight-year-old child in a room. 
But boundary, like this could be something that is really difficult, especially if you are setting boundaries with teenagers or if you're setting or starting the boundary setting process with toddlers. This is hard, but it works. Taking the time to process through, to have your affirmations, to make sure that your head's on right so you're not constantly thinking about how great things were when you were in the abusive relationship, managing your triggers and setting boundaries, like that right there will get you miles ahead if you choose to take the time to do the work. Yeah. Okay. So for anyone listening, who's like, holy crap, Carly is reading my mind. She knows exactly what I'm going through. She knows exactly what I need. Uh, how can people work with you? Yeah. So you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram at carly.lynn. I'm sure the link will be in the show notes somewhere because my name is a pain in the butt to spell. I'm also on TikTok at Carly Lynn. There's no doubt there. Someone on Instagram still Carly Lynn uh, and just refuses to change it, even though they haven't used it in four years. I'm, I'm a little bitter, a little bitter. Um, <laughs> anyway, but also I do have spots open where you can work with me one-on-one for 12 weeks and we will go through this whole process. It's going to be completely tailored to you. I do have like the calls laid out and everything, but it's unique to you in your life because I can share tips and tricks all day long and they will get you pretty far, but your life is very different than my life, which is different than Megan's life. All of our brains are different. We all experience things differently. And sometimes you need someone to come alongside you and hold your hand and say, this is how we can make this work for you in your life. Because I know mom life is crazy. I know things are insane. And I know that you're telling yourself that you don't have time, but I promise you taking the time to do this will buy you so much more time in the future. And they can just reach out to me via Instagram uh, to do so. Okay. Awesome. Yes. I will have all of those links in the show notes. So please go check those out. And yeah, I just want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast, um, for sharing your knowledge, for sharing your compassion, for being vulnerable. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really special. I love you so much. And you are like one of my best friends in the world. And so this is like, it's so special to me and I'm so grateful. Yes. I'm so glad that you got to be on the podcast and uh, everybody got a little taste of what I get all the time on co-working and whatnot. <laughs> I'm so, so glad it's a positive thing. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Are you kidding? Um, so everybody listening, I will see you next Saturday and thank you so much for hanging out with us. Bye. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave review over on Apple podcasts and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.